we always got one or two text messages. Really That's good. good. Uh, let me just see what we've got to read here this morning. Uh, they always make it sound good. This is talking about um, the story we had on uh, the ABC, mm. um, gender equality kind of thing. It was. Uh, they always make it sound good, but what is the end result? It discriminates against people who are deserving of the role being offered. There are equalities, but we are not all the same. We've all been given different gifts by God. I think this is a very important point because when you go to First Corinthians chapter, you know, eleven and twelve and so forth, where the Bible talks about you know different people with different gifts. One Holy Spirit, but everybody gets different gifts. And as human beings, we function our best when we play to our strengths. Mm. And when you enforce equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity, then you are putting square pegs into round holes and you are creating, you know, you you you're creating a, a lesser product. And God doesn't do that. God's like, no, I've got every different kind of peg you can imagine and they all fit into their own hole don't be going and forcing them into all these different holes um, and you know you, he mentions about you know creating stories creating content for TV and so forth you are bound to lose the story you are trying to describe with irrelevant characters forced upon the film director this is a very valid point um, if you're going to Tell a story about you know indigenous people in Gallipoli. Tell that story. Mm. I'd love to see it. I will definitely watch that. If you're going to tell a story about the home front, tell that story. If you're going to tell a story about the nurses on the hospital ships and in North Africa, tell that story. And if you're going to tell the story about you know the Aussie digger at Gallipoli, tell that one. Don't try and tell them all. Mm. You just end up with mud. It becomes beige. And this is what happens whenever we try and create equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity. We just end up with a beige society. It takes the it takes the interest out of society where we can actually celebrate everybody's differences because it's like, well, everybody, you know, just gets stirred into the same pot. Well, and that's the point of what you're saying, right? It's like if you're focusing on all those different stories, they're all very different stories. That's right. Same thing, same war, but totally different experiences. And tell them. I want to hear war. them. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear them. Mm. They're, you know, they're, they're stories we do need to hear and do need to be told, um, and there are lessons in every single one of them that we need to learn. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you think about uh, Len Waters, for instance. Len Waters was a what is a Walters? One of the two um, was a fighter pilot in the Second World War. Very successful fighter pilot. Ninety-five, I think, missions that he flew on. Came back to Australia applied five times for a civil pilot's licence and was denied every single time. What? Interesting. Yeah. This guy had really, really high-level skills in flying aircraft and in navigation and communication because a single-seat fighter pilot has to be able to master all aspects of aviation. Yeah. You know, you get a bomber crew and you have a crew. And so you have one person who's a radio operator, you have one person who is a navigator, you have one person or two people who fly the plane, you have other people that are bombardiers and you have other people that are gunners. When you're a fighter pilot, you are a pilot, you are a co-pilot, you are a navigator, you are a radio operator, you are a bombardier, you are a gunner, you are all of those things. things. And so this is a really, really highly skilled, you know, the, the, the single seat fighter pilot of the Second World War was the most highly skilled pilot there was. Applied five times to 
get a civil aviation license, couldn't get one. You know why he was rejected? Because he was Aboriginal. Oh, whoa, yeah, right. See, those are stories that are need to be told yes. so that we can learn the lessons yes. of them today. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are good stories. They need to be told, but yeah, anyway. What Any more text messages or shall we get into our no, encounter that's, with that's God? All. Let's okay. get into our encounter with God. Let's, let's, let's get into it. I need, I need something. I need to get into the word of God here to distract my mind from some of these things. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9 to 11. And, uh, yeah, an interesting passage here, Isaiah 40, verse 9 to 11. It's been kind of awesome being in Isaiah, actually. I do like this book. It's a fascinating time of history for the Israelites and it just is. in general in history. You know, it's a very ancient empire. What was the verse? Indeed. And this story is actually going to um, apply somewhat to the story we were talking Ooh. about. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be able to get into the Bible and get away from it. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to uh, happen. I'm just going to say a prayer before we read. Uh, Lord God, thank you so much for this time this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. And, uh, that yeah, you say when the word uh, goes out, it will never return to you void. Uh, So speak to our hearts and minds. Um, Yeah, may we see your truth. May we know more of who you are. God, just give us your spirit as we go into this day. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen. Amen. Okay, 40 verse, what? 9 to 11. That's right, you did say that. Okay, so, O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops, Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms. Holding them close to his heart, he will gently he will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. What a great passage. This passage is all about evangelism. Hey. Isn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah, go tell it. Go. Go, go stand up on top of that mountain mm. and don't keep it a secret. Yeah, the people got to know. <laughs> you got to stop on a ma- stand on a mountain and not keep it a secret. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It might be something there for, you know, people to <laughs> kind of. <laughs> a little hint hint. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, so, but yeah, don't keep this a secret. Uh-huh. Shout it from the mountaintop. And what is the message that we had to shout from the mountaintop? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Mm. So we just yesterday, we read about, you know, make the path straight, fill in the valleys, straighten out the corners, build a highway, build a super highway for Jesus to come on. Yeah. We also looked at uh, passages in the New Testament where that passage is applied to the work that John the Baptist did. Mm-hmm. So John the Baptist was the forerunner, the Bible says. He was to go and make the path straight to prepare the way for Jesus Christ to come. Um, John the Baptist? Uh, yeah, I've just got a text message coming through. We'll come back to that in just a moment. It looks really interesting. <laughs> uh, let me just put that there. And so, uh, yeah, so John the Baptist, that's his work. Mm. The question is, do we have the same work today? Is Jesus coming again today? And who should be involved in sharing that message with the world? Mm. And I'd even say, why does it matter? Absolutely. We're going to look at all of that in just a moment. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, let's, let's read that for me again. Let me read that for me again. Not all of it? Yeah, okay. yeah it's only a short right. passage. Yep, cool. O Zion, messengers of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem, shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. 
He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. Ah, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. Mm. Okay, so uh, our, <laughs> our, good, our good friend Darren Pratt. <laughs> okay. Who has dedicated his life to children's ministry. Mm-hmm has picked up something that I reckon probably 99% of our listeners, myself included, missed. Go on then. Okay, so he says here, please note, he doesn't forget the lambs. Oh, absolutely. Did you pick that up? Yeah. That's you see, I, when you read that, that was jumping out at you like, oh, yeah, he's talking about the children. T- my favourite part of it is the fact that, it, yeah, he's coming with a powerful arm and right, an I'm incredibly just... caring arm. Like he's just like, I've got you. You small ones, you're not forgotten. And now I'm just feeling Oh, no, no, no. Because I'm like, yeah, 99% of people would have missed that. And Darren, Darren, he's on the money, you know, he's picked it up. It's like, well, maybe 99% of people did pick it up. And just me, I was the only one who missed it. No, well, I, I think it's important because – as we just said before the uh, short break, was like, what's happening? Jesus is coming. Yes. Why does that matter? This is so much about who God is. Like, if you have this angry tyrant God who's coming, yeah, you're going to want to know, but that's totally going to change how I feel about that coming. That's so you can escape, so you can get away exactly. and hide or somewhere. And then you're like, what do I need to do to change it so I won't be in trouble? That's a very different thing in my mind to, no, no, this is the sort of God who gathers the young and also stands up to defend. Do you know? And- for me, that's look. I'm very motivated by relationships, like just people in yes, general. So you are. I do realize that could be a little personal bias, but when I read that, I'm like, man, knowing who this God is totally changes the way I respond to something like the fact that He's coming. It does, you know. And so I think that's really important when we're sharing this message. And so knowing that this is a God who is specifically caring about children, mm. and specifically mentions children. And this is in a culture where children were kind, very much ignored. That's right. Children were considered to be non-persons. Mm. You look at the uh, historical records that we have, uh, the inscriptions and so forth, there's nothing about children. Yeah. Nobody writes about children. Nobody makes inscriptions about children. You read the cuneiform text, children are not mentioned. Children were kind of nothing. Mm. And children were a form of... Well, in the ancient world, children were slaves that you gave birth to. Yeah. Ooh, hectic. And children were just horrifically abused. Mm. And so, yeah, okay, I took it down a historical path, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> no, and it's still important, though. Minnie takes it down the relational path, Lyle takes it down the historical <laughs> path. This is where we balance each other out. That's no, good, it's good. Um, but, okay, think about this. Mm. How many history books have been written in the world? Oh, many. Millions of history books. And you have the history of this, the history of that, the history of the other. How many uh, books have you seen which are the history of children? Very few. Very, very few. Have you seen one? I've read bits and pieces. Yeah, but have you seen a a history book? Okay, not a whole specific, no. Okay, you haven't, have you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet you've seen the history of like a million other things, yeah. but you've never seen that particular history. And when you read that particular history, it is brutal. It yeah. is hard. And people have often speculated, you know, why is that the case? Why were children just sort of, you know, non-persons back then? And part of it came down to being, you know, a very, very high, you know, 80 90% child mortality rate. Mm. And so that parents, when they had children, the life of children was very, very cheap to begin with because children were dying around them all the time. And if you had, you know, 12, 14 children and were able to raise two of them to adulthood, you were doing well. Mm. 
And so children were dying around them all the time. The death of children was commonplace. It was normalised. And the way that you survived that as a parent was by emotionally detaching yourself from your children. Mm. And so, you know, very large um, parts of society were developed around that, like, say, for instance, the whole concept of the wet nurse. Yeah. We had cultures where when you had children, you would go down to the marketplace and you would hire a wet nurse because if you breastfed that child yourself, you would become too attached to it. Mm. Now, you start to think about the damage that that does to society. So dysfunction, yeah. Okay, so, they, they are, so they're born as slaves. They're slaves that you give birth to. Mm. They are slaves that you give birth to that you cannot afford to become emotionally attached to because you won't survive yourself emotionally if you do. Mm. And so then they are raised, in, you know, and this is, this is not what you're going to find in the Bible, by the way. This is not the biblical model. This is, the, this is what the ancient world was like. And so when you come to the Bible and God comes along and God says, uh, you know what, I care just as much for the children as I do for everybody else. Yeah, which is huge. There's a massive message right there mm. um, in, uh, you know, in, in relationship to how God cares for everyone and how much God cares for the children. Mm. That's God speaking against the culture of the time and directly addressing it. Yeah. And that's not even getting into... Okay, so if you look at uh, abuse levels in Australia, uh, one in six boys are abused, sexually abused, one in four girls. Those are, those are massive, massive figures. And that's in a country where we're doing a lot about it. You've got, you got, you've got um, working with children checks, you've got laws, you've got you know people being locked up for large prison sentences and all that kind of thing. Go back to ancient societies where there was no law against that kind of thing. Mm-hmm where the norm was for people to get married when they reached puberty. You think about traumatised societies. These were traumatised societies in the past and you add that, you you look at that whole concept and then you look at the levels of uh, substance abuse that we have recorded of many of the leaders of nations and you can kind of see why they were abusing substances so badly Mm. and why they became such incredible psychopaths. It was because of a lot of what they'd suffered as a child. Yeah, that's right. Ah, just even get started on that whole subject. The Bible is just so amazing. Mm. Just absolutely so amazing in the way that God cares for everyone. That's right, yeah. He cares for women. He cares for children. He cares for men. And he includes everybody. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah, absolutely. No, no. <laughs> it's a good rant to have. Oh, somebody just uh, texted through here. The enemy's plan has always been to destroy families, especially today. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And that's exactly what, you know, and this is why you've got, uh, um, you know, that whole biblical model there of the family mm-hmm. that God was putting together. And you've got so much in the Bible about the family and the value of the family and the value of the family, you know, being drawn closer to one another. And somebody else texts through, feed my lambs, children, feed my sheep, feed my feed 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 grown ups, feed everybody. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, yeah, good good point raised by one of our um, one of our listeners and then backed up by another listener. We love to have your input. Gave mm. me an excuse to 
have a bit of a uh, have a bit of a, a <laughs> rant history. about well, really looking at the, the the massive contrast between the Jewish economy and the Jewish culture that was developed by God in the Israelite economy, the Israelite culture, and how vastly different it was from the rest of the world. And you can you can kind of easily see when children were such expendable commodities, how that you know huge parts of the world mm. fell into things like child sacrifice. That's right. Yeah. They just didn't have the value that they have within the Judeo-Christian culture. Yeah, and that's the thing because we don't really probably understand that history. We don't realise the significance of when God speaks about his care for the people. It's like, yeah, of course, care for the people. We live in countries predominantly in the Western world that were founded on some of these values. Even if people don't believe it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, but you go back to a time where this was so countercultural. This is significant that God is like, no, 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 no. I absolutely care for these people. So then you care for them too. No honest, no honest historian can deny that it was Christianity that changed the attitude mm. of the world towards yeah. children. Yeah. That's a simple Isn't it fact. Incredible? That is just a simple fact. Absolutely. Oh, wow. That, uh, that went down a different path than where I was expecting <laughs> it to go. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back, guys. We seem to stay on this subject right here. So Bruce has texted through. He said, uh, regarding lambs, we don't realise we are looking at God with our own self-righteousness. Sometimes God wants us to become as little children. That's very true. Yeah. Oh, and you look, at, you, look at, you look at childhood faith and it is something special. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay, if you've got your thoughts to share um, on this subject, then uh, please do. Um, going back to our passage that we're looking at, mm-hmm. we have an evangelistic message. Yes. It is a message about preparing for the coming of the Messiah, mm. and it is to be shouted from where? The, the mountaintops. From the mountaintops. Okay, now this is going to be interesting. So we're gonna we're actually going to have a look at something here. If you go to the birth of Jesus, mm-hmm. And you go to the dedication of Jesus where it's actually announced and prophesied by human beings that this is the Messiah. Yeah. So it's announced and prophesied to the shepherds at his birth by an angel, Mm -hmm. to the magi through prophecy. But this is the first time that human beings actually stand up and say, oh, this is the Messiah. Yes. Okay, and you've got Anna the prophetess Mm -hmm. and then Simeon, uh, the prophet, and they both speak. So the Anna the prophetess first, and then you've got uh, Simeon that speaks after that. Now, this is a model that God actually uses. If you go to the resurrection, who's the first person to announce the resurrection of Jesus? First Most human. people. It's first, women. Yeah, it's it's Mary Magdalene Mary, yeah. and the women. And then you've got you know Peter and the others, mm-hmm. and uh, Cleopas and his friend and so forth. And so you've got this kind of model. Now, if you go to, let me see here, da, 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 where are we? If we go to Isaiah 41, well, let's read a few, few, few more verses. Isaiah 41, 27. Says, I was the first to tell Zion, look, help is on the way. I will send Jerusalem a messenger with good news. And let's go to... This other one, I had another verse here and it just seems to be escaping me right now. 
Why? Where disappeared. has he gone? He's gone. He's disappeared. <laughs> I was like a really. Oh, for, oh, he's, uh, 52 verse 7. Okay. Says, give me a hot minute. 52 verse 7 reads, that, how beautiful on the mountains, oh, I love this verse, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. Okay, so what you've got is um, an interesting model here. In all of these proclamations, because they're all proclamations of they're, they're all evangelistic proclamation, proclamations. They're proclamations of the coming, coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, the resurrection of Jesus, all of these different events. Right. And with all of them, you have both men and women involved. Mm-hmm. And the reason you know we draw that from Isaiah chapter 40 is because in Hebrew, the mountain is always female. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, like in our culture, ships are female. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that culture... Mountains were female. That's so interesting. But then you have these other verses that are very male. Mm. And that sort of, you know, it brings us back to what we were discussing earlier about the about equality because when it comes to sharing the gospel, when it comes to um, a relationship with God, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to all of these different aspects, there is very much an equality in Scripture. Both men and women are called to proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ. And both men and women are included in all of these major events mm. where you have this call to prepare for the return of Christ. And as has been very aptly pointed out, so are children mm. included in that right. whole message. And so God is very, very inclusive. Mm. Now, while God is very, very inclusive, God is not cr- trying to create, you know, equality of outcome is creating equality of opportunity. And those are two very different things here because God creates different people with different roles and different specialities and different talents. And you have that with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You have that with the differences that he created between men and women. Yeah, God created men and women not to be the same, but to be complementary. And this is the important point that, you know, the modern woke uh, society misses when they, you know, try and create equality of everything, you know, because equality of, uh, of, of, of gender and then equality of, you know, species, you know, we're just as much value as animals, which are just as much value as trees and all living things have the same value and then everything has the same value. God does not say that. And God did not create that. God created human beings to have dominion over the world and to be managers of the planet and to manage it wisely and to manage it for God's glory and honour which means that we look after our environment, we take Mm. care of our environment, but with a different philosophy. We don't look at our environment as being equal to human beings. And human beings we look at as having different roles from each other, even though they have equality in value and in salvation. And this is one of the beautiful things about, you know, being a human being is the fact that God has, you know, created diversity in nature and we're not all the same and we all do have different skills and we should, Celebrate that. Mm. So as I said, you know, the passage here this morning, I was hoping to get away from that subject. (laughs) And, well, I don't know, it just keeps going back there. But you know what, though, like going back to just what you said, just on the evangelic, um, yeah, the fact that this is an evangelism. That's what I want. Um, Message. 
this is really important, right? Because how easy is it? Oh, I've talked to a bunch of people about this, you know, that we go, Jesus is coming again. Oh, no, you be the one to tell it. You go share that. And it's like, well, hold on. That's not the pastor's job. No, that's now, everybody's that's, job. That's right. I mean, that's, that's part of what job. the pastor is oh, sure. trying to equip you for. But Jesus is like, you all go make disciples. The pastor's job is to train you to know how to do that. Yes. So if you're feeling not confident about sharing Jesus Christ, you don't go to the pastor and say, can you share the message? No. You go to the pastor and say, can you show me how to do it? Yeah. That's the actual role of the pastor. And look, I think we do fail a lot in churches at times with that, you know, in the equipping of, of how that looks to be trained to do that. But man, I mean, I've worked as a Bible worker a couple of times. You've had Bible working experience for years, Lyle. And one thing, I think we had an interview a while back. A couple of times, maybe? How, yeah. how many years of Bible work have you been yeah. doing? Yeah, I've done it a couple of times. Like about, what, three, four, five years or something? Oh, not that many, but you've had way longer experience. But one thing I noticed, and I, I was speaking to someone, is when I learnt to share the Bible was literally just in sharing the Bible. Do you know what I mean? Like there was kind of a point where, okay, I need your help to know how do I understand this verse? Hey, pastor, do you have a resource? Hey, you know. But the point where I get it in my head is when I go share it. And this is one of the reasons why when I'm training Bible workers, I start mm. by training them, this is how you go and meet people in the community and invite them to have a Bible study. Mm. And then I send them out to do that. Yeah. And then they come back and they've got, I've got five people signed up for a Bible study and I don't know how to give a Bible study. Well, great. Let me t- share with you. I can share with you the message. Mm. But the way that you learn to share Jesus is by sharing Jesus. 100%. Yeah. There's no other way to do it. So mm. don't yeah. sit around and theorize all day. Yeah. Just get out there and have a crack you at just it. Just got to go. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's not about you. Mm. So often we try and make apologies for who we are. It's not about you. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work. Don't deny the power of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. I All think right. it's time for Question of the Day. Okay, now question today is from a listener and he says, why do you say that the Babylon of Revelation 17 verse 6 and 18 verse 24 to, uh, 20 to 24 is a future judgment? When doesn't Jesus put this in the first generation in Matthew 23 verse 34 to 36? Okay, so first of all, don't blame me. I didn't write the Bible, but let's read what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 23 verse, uh, let's see here. What was it, 34, 33? 34 to 36. 34. The Bible says, Wherefore, behold, I sent unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you have killed and crucified, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel under the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Okay, so when you read this here in its context, um, Jesus is saying, look, I've sent and I'm sending unto you, you know, prophets, mm. and every single one of them in the past you have killed, and uh, you're going to do the same thing in the future and all of their blood is going to rest upon you. You're going to be guilty for all of it. And that's because they are all acting in the same mindset, the same concept, the same philosophy, etc. There is no mention here of Babylon. 
No, but it does talk about the judgment in verse 36. It does talk about the judgment, but it talks about the judgment on a specific group of people. Yeah. It's not talking about the judgment on Babylon. Mm. It's talking about a judgment on the Jewish leaders. Mm. That's who Jesus is talking about. He is specifically talking about the Jewish leaders. Babylon is a concept that you find in the Bible from one end of the Bible to the other. The very first place that Babylon is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 10. It goes all the way through to Revelation chapter 19, maybe 21. Just trying to remember right now. But it goes from right from one end of the Bible to the other. Babylon is symbolic. You find that Peter talks about being in Babylon. He wasn't literally in Babylon. Babylon is both literal and it is symbolic in the Bible. And so when you go to the book of Revelation, the question is, okay, why do we put this particular Babylon, the Babylon in the book of Revelation, in the future? And the reason that we do so is because Babylon in the book of Revelation symbolizes the wicked, all of the wicked, at the end of time, just before the return of Jesus Christ. So I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Uh, Revelation chapter 16, we'll probably start there. Uh, Let's go in a little bit of context. In verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So this is Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. Now the concept of, Behold, I come as a thief. That motive in motive in the Bible is always used in reference to the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus. Mm. So that's your context. You've got the seven last plagues that are falling from, you know, verse one of chapter sixteen. And by the way, you'll notice in uh, Revelation chapter fifteen and verse eight, just before these plagues fall, the Bible says the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no man was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Clearly Jesus is on his way back because he has closed his work in the sanctuary in heaven. That work is over and when that work is over, Jesus heads back to this earth and then the plagues fall. And then we have this statement just before you have the seventh plague that the context of this is the return of Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says the seventh angel, he comes your last plague, poured out his vial on the air. There came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Mm. That motif in the Bible is always found in relationship to the end just before Jesus comes back. This earth is done. It's finished. It's over. Jesus is coming back. It is done. Then it goes on and it says there were voices and thunders and lightnings. There was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. The great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Those events have not yet happened. They have not taken place and they do take place just before Jesus appears the second time. We could go on and on and on through the book of Revelation. The context of Babylon in the book of Revelation is always consistently and only end time uh, context. Anyway. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.